the principles for trying to win in the marketplace and the principles for building a family are very different. Hello, friends. Welcome. Thanks so much for listening. You know, culture is most powerful when it's imperceptible, when we don't even realize how the culture is shaping our worldview, is shaping the way that we are responding to the world or perceiving the world or being in the world. And as Americans, as Westerners, a huge part of our culture is participation in the marketplace. It's capitalism, it's consumerism, and this idea that the marketplace is able to allow the best ideas and the best products and services to win. And it's likely, if not inevitable, that this same mindset informs our Christianity. It informs our Christian culture. It shapes our Christian culture. And so we believe that the best theology will be most successful in the marketplace. So the the, the church that is able to provide the best uh, religious goods and services, that will be the biggest church. And the theology that's most welcome in the marketplace will be the most successful theology. Now, it doesn't take a lot of reflection to see how quickly this could become problematic. It's all fine and good when you have a marketplace deciding which cell phone is the best cell phone or which vacuum cleaner is the best vacuum cleaner, uh, which restaurant makes the best Chinese food. It's good that uh, the marketplace brings out the very best of whatever it's trying to create. However, when it comes to mining truth and discovering truth, the marketplace is not the final arbiter of truth. The marketplace should not determine which truth is most truthful. And I'm not talking about the marketplace of ideas where ideas compete to make sense of this world given to us by God and and seek to perceive the revelation that has come through creation and through God's special revelation in the Bible and, and through all the different ways that God speaks to us. I'm talking about the literal marketplace where dollars are exchanged for products and services and where Christian ideas are commoditized and monetized And we can begin to allow a literal marketplace to shape our theology. That the gospel that has become most popular is the one that's most easily marketed. And so we can see the powerful forces of pragmatism and consumerism at work. We can see that, wow, maybe it is easier to uh, preach a gospel that is about not going to hell rather than the nearness of God's reign right now and the eternal reign of Jesus Christ on the earth forevermore. Maybe that gospel has won out in the religious marketplace, even though it's not the truest expression of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe the concept of church as a place where we go and have a religious service once a week has won out in the religious marketplace rather than the family of God that administrates the kingdom of God with Jesus at the head as the expression of his body on the earth. Market forces have shaped our theology, and that should concern us. It should cause us to be afraid. It should cause us to tremble, and it should cause us to analyze 
how much consumerism, capitalism, and the marketplace have dictated what we believe about God, what we think about God, who we perceive Jesus to be. Twice in his ministry, Jesus cleanses the temple. The first time happens in John chapter 2, and he tells those, it says, he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Or in the NIV, it says, do not turn my father's house into a market. In the Young's literal translation, it says, take these things. Hence, make not the house of my father a house of merchandise. Now, I'm not talking about selling books in the church lobby. Uh, that's probably something <laughs> something else to be discussed. I'm talking about the larger phenomenon of how our truth and how what we believe about God is shaped by consumer-oriented market forces. The temple in Jesus's time was of course, where the people went to meet with God. The New Testament church is not a temple. In the New Covenant, our bodies are the temple of God. But in Jesus's time, when Jesus was walking on the earth, the temple was where the people came to honor their covenant with God, where the people came to have fellowship with God and to encounter God. And Jesus said, stop making this temple, my father's house, into a marketplace. Now, the second time Jesus cleanses the temple is at the end of his ministry. So when he does it in John, it's at the beginning of his ministry. When he does it in the Synoptic Gospels, it's at the end of his ministry. And he says, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. So that's also kind of a telltale indication that uh, he, he goes from calling it a marketplace or a house of trade or a house of merchandise to a den of robbers. But nevertheless, the concern is that market-formed Christianity is different than authentic biblical Christianity. Jesus didn't want the temple to become a marketplace. What are the characteristics of a marketplace? The, the marketplace determines value by what somebody is able to produce. A person's value in the marketplace is determined by their buying power or their set of skills to create products or services, their, their talent, their ability. So people are um, valued and measured up and, and treated accordingly. So one of the problems is with the marketplace is that it under, undermines the, the idea of family, that Jesus is bringing together a family in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, it talks about the whole family of God, the family of God in heaven and the family of God on earth. We all derive our name from the Father. So Jesus has brought us into the family of God. He has given us a spirit of adoption. He has made us uh, brothers with him. He has made us heirs with him, co-heirs with Christ. And so we are part of the family of God. And one of the problems of a marketplace is that it undermines the value of family, where you're valuable simply because you're part of the family. The marketplace says you're valuable either because you can buy my good or service, so I, I value you and I, I treat you a certain way because I'm trying to sell you something or I, I want you to buy something from me, or you're valuable because I can get something from you. You, cre you. you provide a product or a service that's valuable to me, and so I treat you a certain way because I want to get something from you. And that idea of relationships as transactional is counter, completely opposite, to family, 
where relationship is not transactional, where I don't love you because of what I can get from you, but I love you without any conditions, and I love you the way that God has loved me, completely unconditional. God loves humanity not because of what he can get from us, because there's nothing that we have to offer him. So when he loves us, he it is completely without condition. And so, likewise, he calls us in the new covenant, the commandment of our new covenant in Christ is to love as Christ has loved us, is to love without condition. And in a marketplace, I have no value as a person. I only have value as either a customer or a provider of goods and services. So when I walk into a a car dealer or a store or a house that's for sale, the person there selling those things, if they know I'm not going to buy them, most of the time they have no interest in me. Their, Their interest in me is only as a customer, is only as someone who they could possibly sell their good to. And the moment they realize I don't have the means to to buy their good, I have no value to them for most people. Uh, there's certainly exceptions to the rule. But that was that is the reality of the marketplace. It's like when you watch these uh, singing shows and they have an audition. I don't know if you've ever seen the audition for Susan Boyles, uh, the famous lady, you know, who, uh, looked very homely, but she ended up having a spectacular voice. And, but when she walks out, everyone's kind of making fun of her, and everyone's laughing at her, and, and she looks very homely. And, and then she begins to sing, and it's astonishing, and she has this beautiful voice, and she blows everyone away, and they give her a standing ovation, and you know she goes on to sell uh, millions and millions of records and, and becomes rich and famous. But the thing is, if she had not sung well, People would have continued to laugh at her and mock her and reject her. But, oh, it's now you have this ability, you have this talent, so now you're valuable to us. Uh, Now you have value because you can entertain us or you have value to the judges because, oh, now we can make money off of you. You can help us, you know, make more money and uh, away they go. But had she not been able to sing, she would have just been a laughingstock. And, and so that is how a marketplace works. People are valued based on their ability to bring value to the marketplace. And that is the exact opposite of how the family of God works, where people are intrinsically valuable. And we're valuable because we're made in God's image and because God sent his son to die for us. And it, it's an affront to bearing God's image into the finished work of Christ, when we try to say, well, I have value even beyond what God has given me. I'm even more valuable. And um, that's part of our false self. And that's part of what pride is and thinking, well, I'm even more valuable than everybody else because of X, Y, Z or whatever. But the danger that we face today as modern Christians living in a highly uh, consumerized world that we live in is that we approach our church life and our spiritual life with that same consumer mindset. Rather than going to a meeting of the church as a contributing member of the ecclesia, the the church as Christ's body, and I go to make a contribution and to help reveal Christ to my brothers and sisters, to administrate the reign and the rule of God with my Christian brothers and sisters, I become a consumer and I go only to consume. Now, even in more passive church services, we can do our best to uh, try to be uh, to, to try and make a contribution. We can go and we can participate in the singing. We can uh, pray when it's time for corporate prayer. We can listen attentively when there is preaching and teaching. But in truth, 
the modern format of our church services does not allow for most of the church to function as the ecclesia of Christ. In truth, the modern worship service constricts the body of Christ more than it empowers them. And in truth, the the modern church service has made the body of Christ a group of consumers and perhaps even a group of customers. And so the churches are competing in a marketplace for Christian customers, the churches that have the best music, that have the best marketing, that have the best preaching. Those churches can draw the most consumers, can draw the most customers, and they can grow and they can get really, really big. And I'm not against big churches just because they're big. I would only say that those large services don't do a lot to empower the body of Christ to live as the ecclesia of God. And if you want to explore more on that, I have a podcast that's called uh, What Did the Word Church Mean to Jesus? where I talk about what did Jesus's followers hear when Jesus first spoke that word to them? What did they have in mind? And be, because now, 2,000 years later, it's so easy to take what we think of as church and read it back into the Bible. But I think we need to be mindful of the effects of market forces on our theology, on our church going, on, on the shape and the form and the format of our churches, because the principles for trying to win in the marketplace and the principles for building a family are very different. So we need to consider carefully Are our churches being shaped by God's word, or are they being shaped by the market forces at work in our culture? Is our theology shaped by the word of God, or is it shaped by which books are the most popular, and and because they're the most popular, they're the most widely read? This same thing happened. This is why Darbyism spread, you know, in the in the early 1900s, and is the main view of. eschatology among evangelicals today because Darbyism was included in the Schofield Study Bible. So because the Schofield Study Bible was uh, such a popular Bible in the marketplace, many, many Protestant evangelical preachers embraced Darbyism. And so we can see in, in this example of how market forces can actually end up shaping our, our Christianity, which is a really concerning thought that we should all be mindful of as followers of Jesus. And we mustn't be so naive as to think that God is directing the Christian bestseller list, that oh, if, if something didn't have solid theology, certainly God would not allow it to become a bestseller. No, you know, there have been heresies throughout uh, Christian history, and there have been ideas that were popular but were wrong that have risen throughout the, Christi, uh, the history of Christianity. The only difference is now with the uh, modernization of mass media and, and Christian publishing that these ideas can spread very, very quickly throughout massive amounts of people in a very, very short time. Now, roughly half of all Christian publishers are actually owned by non-Christian companies. So uh, the Christian bookhouses, half of them roughly are owned by non-Christian companies that are just in it uh, to make a buck. And so whatever sells best, you can bet that that's the books that they're going to be publishing. So I apologize if this podcast has been a little heavy and it's not uh, 
the super encouraging edification that uh, you may have been hungering for, but I do think it's important for us to consider. And I do think that God is raising up a people who are going to be the expression of his body on the earth. And I think we have to be attentive and aware of how the culture is shaping us and how the culture is even shaping our churches so that we cannot be conformed to this world, but that we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we can change the way we think so that we don't think like the world thinks, but we think like Christ thinks, that we have the mind of Christ and we think his thoughts, and we can become a people formed in his image, like Paul talked about, that we can attain to the fullness of the stature of the measure of Christ, that we can be a beautiful, shining bride that knows how to administrate the kingdom of God, that we're not just a group of people who attend an extra meeting on the weekends and we go to a religious service and we sing some songs and we listen to a talk, but we know how to administrate God's kingdom. We know how to live in his kingdom and use God's resources to do God's will for God's glory and that we become the people that God has called us to be. And so God bless you. Thank you so much for listening. May God give you wisdom as you consider how market forces, how the culture may have uh, unintentionally shaped the way you view God, the way you respond to God, the way you attend church or, or the kind of church that you're a part of. And may God give you wisdom to walk into the fullness of everything that Jesus has purchased for you. God bless you. God, you're beautiful.